With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, it's Bird. Welcome to another episode of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. We're going to do something a little different today. We're going to be talking about the politics of Shin Godzilla and uh, some of the things Japan is going through as a country right now. And I add this quick disclaimer at the beginning. Um, our special guest, Chris Marty, who is our Japanese culture guru who we had on, he wanted me to add a quick clarification. Um, and he said, Apologies for the paranoia, but I just want to make sure I did not accuse Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe as being a member of the Society for the Dissemination of Historical Fact, even though he is a member of the Nippon Kaigi and shares some of their beliefs. Um, and then he uh, says he realizes this is touchy stuff, and so the imp- political implications have been giving him some anxiety since we recorded. Um, so, uh, on that note, um, hopefully you enjoy the episode, and please, if uh, anyone out there, especially those who live in Japan, feel that we're off base, or maybe we got something wrong, reach out to us. We're definitely open to uh, more conversation, and um, on that note, I am going to play a jazzy sound bite from the Shin Godzilla soundtrack called Early Morning from Tokyo, and after that we will get right into the discussion, so I hope you enjoy. This is a very special episode of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. You know me as Bird, and join with me is Matt. Tell the people, hey everybody, yeah, tell the people who you are. <laughs> Hi, I'm, I'm Matt. You just told them for me. Oh well, <laughs> we're we're gonna get better at this whole uh, introducing each other. I, I don't thing. think so. I don't think that's ever. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> it, it probably won't. Um, and joining us today is a very special guest. Uh, we have Mr. Chris Marty, who uh, is also the one-man band Cosmic Monster. You are still a one-man band, right? Yes. Uh, calling it a band is kind of overstating it. It's it's me yes. and okay. the guitar and more guitars and yes. other noise. And future composer of the Kaiju Transmissions theme song. Right? Woo-hoo. Soon. <laughs> yes. I promise. Soon, I promise. <laughs> well, we're almost there, I think. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, the, the rough cut does sound pretty awesome. We have heard it. It's pretty pretty slick. 
And um, I've known Chris for years now. Um, I, I, I'm assuming we met on a forum. I just don't know what one. That's it. It could have been, uh, hmm, maybe, hmm. I haven't been on too many forums. I, there was a brief time where I attempted and was met with, uh, let's go with the word frustration. So uh, probably on some forum Sounds for a minute. It. And it's like, oh, good, someone else uh, who is able to communicate without arguing about yeah. everything. And, you know. And I think from there we became MySpace friends. And we just yes. started talking a little bit there. And then we actually spent the whole weekend together at G-Fest back in 08. Remember that? Indeed. Uh, it was a long weekend of many awesome things. And, and uh, let us stay on your hotel room floor, which yes. we will be eternally grateful for. Yes, Chris and his lovely girlfriend Anna were, for whatever reason, this was a long time ago, you guys were 20. For some reason in Illinois, you can't have a hotel room if you're under 21. And they didn't know that until they got there. I don't know how that was overlooked. I don't know how he was able to book a room. That's going to be one of life's great mysteries. Uh, and yeah, we, I said, you know what? Just just stay with us. And that is precisely what we did. And that was when we had... Um, it was Nakajima and Don Fry, right? Yes. They were like the two big ones mm-hmm. at that con. Which was one yeah, of my. I mean, which was that's what that's been that's one of my because I've been going before and after that's one, that was one of my favorite favorite shows I think. Really, I mean it. It was a bit overwhelming because my convention experience has been more broad stuff like horror or horror sci-fi. So that was a bit of a culture shock for me, even being a huge fan of this stuff. You know, almost my entire life. It, it, yeah, it's such a small like. It's it's such a small fandom, really. It was strange to put a lot of faces to people. Whether I met them or not was just, oh, that's I've seen him before on this or talking about that. And, you know, it was very interesting. We're hoping to go uh, this year, but, you know, mm-hmm. finances and impending apocalypse pending, right. you know. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember, uh, first of all, remember we were in the line to meet Nakajima, and your flight was going to take off in, like, 40 minutes or something oh, God. so we had to we had to like rush you guys to the front of the line and luck the luckily the people the organizers were nice enough to let you guys cut up to the front yeah that's pretty sweet we didn't anticipate that line being oh my god uh, yeah it like assembled in about five minutes and then it was about three and a half miles long yeah uh, I, uh, I also remember uh you you wrote um, in what it, I'm assuming at least at the time was uh, in very broken Japanese. You wrote a letter to Nakajima. Yeah, in Japanese. Uh, yeah, and it, well, I did it with the help of my tutor at the time. Um, at that point, I was studying much more vigorously uh, the language. At this point now, I'm just trying to find the time to get back to studying it. Uh, so it was you know I was stretching myself quite a bit, but she honestly did a lot of the work for me yeah and i learned a lot from writing that because it was a lot of you know conversational and you know like hey i you know you practically killed yourself to be in all of these monster suits and no one who ever goes through this living hell ever gets recognized in any possible way so <laughs> i'd like to at least put it down in your native language as best as i can saying thank you yeah what was his re- did he read it when when you presented it to him? 
Yeah, he, I mean, he, he, you know, he was, seemed grateful. He said thank you. It was obviously a very rushed encounter. So, yeah, you know, it was what it was. It wasn't exactly the uh, type of conversation I was hoping to have at the moment because <laughs> I didn't expect to be like, yeah. oh, God, our, our flight's taking off. We have to go meet and leave. And, oh, God. So. Yeah. Um, and that was also, we met a pre-Walking Dead Greg Nicotero. Remember that? Yes, which realizing after the fact on the flight home, it, all of the connections started to come into my tether in my head because at first I didn't recognize him. You, you're like, oh, look, it's Greg Nicotero. And my brain did not put two and two together at the time. And afterwards, like, oh, wow, okay, oh, oh. Oh, oh, and, <laughs> and then, then you, just the yeah, whole then you everything. Pull him up on IMDb, and you're like, "Wow, this guy's done pretty much everything." Matt, you know who Greg Nicotero is? I should, but I, I don't honestly. All right, Not he's a, a he's a big um, makeup artist for like horror movies, um, right? I mean, he's one of the showrunners and the main makeup guy on The Walking Dead, and he's directed a lot of the episodes of that show. I think he's probably directed a lot of the best episodes of that show. Um, but the, it, back in 08, this is, Walking Dead was still a couple of years away, but, um, I knew him from, you know, working on, getting a start with George Romero on, like, um, Day of the Dead, and, uh, working a lot with, like, guys like Tarantino and Rodriguez, and pretty much being on, like, every special feature to every horror movie I owned, and him and his kid were at G-Fest that year, and I was like, oh my god, look, and I, I, I think, I mean, if he tried to do that now, I think with The Walking Dead being as big as it is, and also him showing up all the time on stuff like The Talking Dead after the show, yeah, then, I, then I don't be, know if yeah. he would have been able to navigate that convention <laughs> the way that he did, um, but yeah, that was a really cool surprise. Um, so, uh, with, without further ado, uh, well, how, how are you guys? I mean, how is everyone today? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right, every, yeah, everyone's a little deflated. Um, we we just elected uh, a television star to be our president, which I'm sure you guys are thrilled about, right? Yay! Oh Yay. man, there's a, there's uh, there might even. be a, there you know and you know there's a lot of racism and sexism and homophobia going on uh, right now. But you know what? We're not here to talk about America's problems. We're here to talk about Japan. And specifically, the politics of Shin Godzilla. Um, which, as people who have, are regular listeners know, we did a rather lengthy review episode, but with how much stuff is put in this movie and how many political al- references and analogies are made in here, it was really only fair that we dedicated a whole episode to it, because I, there's a lot to talk about. So we're not necessarily going to be talking about, oh, the effects are this, the the actors are that. We're going to be talking about what this movie is saying, because, geez, that's something that's been going back and forth uh, with fans everywhere, um, and some people are kind of getting what it's saying. A lot of people, it's kind of going over their heads. And Chris, I know, has always been a, a, a lover of the country of Japan and follow, following their culture and politics and tries to stay up to date on things. So 
I figured, why not bring him in? Especially since we were already talking about him coming in at some point and, you know, talking about him doing a, a song for us. So, that is why he is here, and we're happy to have him here. Now, first, guys, I do have some listener mail. Oh, okay. Okay. Um... Not really, but not really, not really fan mail because it's uh, our friend Trevor, <laughs> who was on uh, a couple episodes by now, and he is my co-host on my other podcast. If it bleeds, we can kill it. And uh, he wanted to tie up a loose end that he left hanging uh, on his Shin Godzilla appearance for the review episode. So you guys didn't say enough enough nice things about the movie. He had to write it in. For the other one like I, he, was, he loved it that much yeah that's how much he liked it so he says hello uh i am a some sometime listener what an asshole uh sometime <laughs> listener first time writer i'd like to humbly request that you read and respond to the following note on your upcoming politics of shin godzilla episode Hi everyone, this is Bird's friend Trev. You might remember me as the guy you probably really hated during the previous Shin Godzilla episode. I'm not here once again to go on a rage rant about the movie, though I do still dislike it with a fiery passion. Instead, I'm sim- I'd simply like to draw your attention to a matter we foolishly neglected to discuss during our discussion. All of us commented on how the film's obsession with government meetings meant that it was somewhat, or very, robbed of a real sense of loss and destruction, at least on the level of the general populace of Japan. With that in mind, I am reminded of a brief moment in the film in which we see that protesters have gathered outside the buildings which house the 238 meetings we watch in the movie. These protesters are convinced Godzilla really is God, and thus are against any plans to attack or destroy him. I wanted to bring this up because, quite frankly, it's an annoying tease of material that is actually far more interesting than anything in the movie. For a movie that pays a lot of lip service to the idea of Godzilla being godlike, it doesn't really come across much in the film. In fact, he's much weaker, weaker and easier to defeat than normal, so that's weird when you're pushing the whole god angle. Not only would showing us more of these protesters have been a way to bring a more street-level perspective to the film, but it would have been a very unique, captivating thing to explore. I know I'm edging close to to the dangerous trend of attacking a film for what it wasn't rather than what it was. I'll just say I hope some future Godzilla director actually picks up on this thread and runs with it someday. So if any young Gareth Edwards or Hideki Anno's are listening... Please consider making a Godzilla film that spends more than four seconds on this captivating notion. When exactly does a god become a monster? And even more intriguingly, does it even matter to its loyal followers? P.S. Somewhat related, has there been any speculation that the strange Godzilla people we see frozen in his tail at the end is actually Anno's way of subtly suggesting that mankind may, in fact, have evolved from Godzilla creatures like this in the past? Yes. No, I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> um, so I, I honestly really agree with him is that that's a great, great little mini sequence that you get really excited about. And then you cut to everyone passed out and tired and exhausted. And then it's gone. And the only time I can the two occurrences of this I can think of happening outside of the movie, one being Pacific Rim, uh, where. You know, Hannibal Chow is referencing that, uh, the, you know, these idiots think that uh, these are gods. Mm-hmm. And the other is 
Now, I could be completely wrong on this. This could have came completely out of my ass, not out of any fact whatsoever. But I distinctly remember reading an interview. I want to say Quentin Tarantino. Yes, yes, or, I know what yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, this yes, was Quentin Tarantino. About how the idea of people worshipping. It was talk, in reference to a Godzilla movie, right? Or was it just a monster movie? It was Godzilla specifically. Okay. So that was the thing, is he's referencing the idea of a Godzilla movie where... You know, it people start following this thing like it's a god and worshiping it, and that sounds like it's a really cool movie. But you know, ultimately, Toho is not concerned with just making a good movie. <laughs> Clearly, something that that you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, tell me how you really feel about it. No, uh, the the reason I, I say that is because. I, I read and I hear a lot of fans saying how the problem with the Millennium series was the committee filmmaking, but the reality is that this is just as much, if not more so, committee filmmaking. So for every good idea that's in there, know that there it, it may have been Hideaki Anno's film, but at the end of the day, you're at the service of the largest studio in the country, which is you know they have other things they want to put in the movie and other agenda in the movie than just making the greatest best most memorable best ever godzilla film that honors everything that came before it and takes the right kind of step into the future they're they're more concerned with you know making a pile of money right which they did, so, apparently. Yeah, they did make a pile of money for the film. That is that is for sure. That that's the one thing they did make. No, that is uh, that's a great pitch for a Godzilla movie. Um, there's something go- going. On. I think one of the recent comic books had something similar, but I I I am so like on and off with those and don't really follow yeah. them. But uh, and so I don't really know if it was any good or not. But yeah, this is definitely the kind of thing that like. I was rather see this than a, that than a bunch of like meetings and and stuff. But I mean, <laughs> when ticket sales are uh, are in question, they I don't know. I I mean, Shin Godzilla is definitely outside the box, but I don't know. I, I I definitely think that's something someone should do at some point. Yeah, it's you know, there's so much that can be done with this genre that has not been done just for the sake that you know the only ones who are making this are. You know, look at history. It's Toho. It's been the only big studio making a, a kaiju film other than you know, Pacific Rim and, and anything that's small and indie. And they're not really concerned with new original ideas. And even with this, you know, there there are a lot of new ideas. And like the, the religious angle that's brought up for three and a half seconds, um, you know, there's a lot of great ideas smattered throughout it, but not one really big good idea that ties the whole thing together i mean i'm the biggest apologist of the three of you for the film and i'm not crazy about it but i definitely enjoy it in some way and you know i i disagree with a lot of the politics that are brought up in it but it does start a very interesting conversation in a way that i haven't seen a lot of movies do uh in a long time and given the current state of japanese cinema it's uh, I'd like to say it's a step up, but given the political stuff, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. It's a slightly uh, diagonal lateral motion towards good. I yeah. don't know. As far as what the hell's going on with Godzilla's tail, <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> Actually, I have a theory. Excuse me, guys. I have a fan theory about this. Oh, uh, yeah. No, you, uh, you got one uh, of those, too? <laughs> What's <no>. yours? 
Well, it actually kind of ties into um, the politics and how the film is kind of assembled. So like politicians and government officials in the film, the actors are just doing their job in the service of a bigger picture. So you have this cast of hundreds, literally hundreds of Japanese actors, some character actors, some well-known, some famous directors, uh, Shinya Tsukamoto and um, uh, even the recently deceased Kihachi Okamoto has a has a picture cameo as Goro Maki. Mm-hmm. And so you've got all of these actors that you can see, you know, a lot of a lot of Toho actors who we've seen in other Tokusatsu films and you know, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of familiar faces, but they maybe get four lines in the film. So you, the idea is that they're all playing their part in the service of the bigger picture. So the government we are presented in the film is all coming together in Japan. The actors are all coming together for the film. At the end, Godzilla is defeated by these multiple smaller creatures working together. So what does he do? He begins to split into smaller creatures. That's probably the most sensible and simple explanation I've heard so far. Yeah, and, you know, the there's so many things that they bring up in the film about there's no precedent to deal with this. We have no precedent. We have no precedent. We, we don't know what to do. And, you know, no precedent means that the current system that they have is, is not built to flex and adapt uh, to something that is new, a new type of threat, uh, natural or unnatural. Uh, and... You know, look at this. Godzilla's never had to deal with anything like this before, as we've seen in this film, at least in the world of the movie. And because it's an evolving life form, uh, it makes sense with the themes and morality that seem to be presented with, you know, everyone working together to defeat it, that it would take note of this and attempt to become what defeated it. But that's... That's just my, my two-cent fan theory after reading about fascism and other terrible, terrible xenophobic <laughs> things for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, you, can, you really can't escape that no matter what country we're talking about. <laughs> no, I, I just kind of like, the saddest thing was, was you know, t- writing down some notes uh, right before, you know, our election and going, wow, I just went from one end of the globe to the other and it just did not get any better. <laughs> this is no, not, it's, it's not what I wanted. Yeah. Um, Anywho. So, uh, all right. Well, th- Trev, thank you uh, for that. Hopefully that uh, that uh, is a, a good enough answer for you. So I guess um, to start, uh, I feel like, at least on American shores, the thing people are focusing the most on are um, the bits of satire and visual cues to 311, which is the not the crappy alt-rock band, but the... <laughs> Um, the Fukushima disaster, uh, which really isn't too much of a presence in the movie. It's kind of used as just a a plot device to kind of kickstart the story, and then halfway through, the kind of satire about how that was handled and everything kind of goes out the window. So, Chris, I guess I'll leave it to you, um... And uh, obviously, we're, we're going to have bigger topics to talk about, especially once we talk about um, Abe. What what was the 311 disaster? How did it come about? And why is it why is it something that um, I guess needed to be addressed? 
All right. So I'm not going to get into the exact details of the disaster. I'm going to try to kind of gloss over. I think if you don't know that there was a meltdown at a reactor in Japan at this point, you can probably just shut the podcast off because there's just no hope for you. Uh, this was a very big deal on a global scale. And the so many issues have stemmed from that. Um, one of them being that this was a preventable incident. Uh, the company managing the reactor, TEPCO, uh, is in charge of a significant portion of the country's power. And unfortunately, they are quite, quite corrupt, excuse me. And, you know, they were, there's just article after article detailing everything that was done wrong and everything that was covered up and how the response was not correct. I mean, the government stumbled in its response. I mean, the fact that the first people who were on the scene were, you know, uh, right-wing activists and Yakuza, partly, you know, you can say it's for their own political gain, just for their own image, partly because they were the only ones who, I guess, had the balls to go into it. Uh, you can take from that what you will. I'm just citing what I've read from different articles from as many sources as I can find. Um, actually, before I go on, I just want to just iterate as much as I can. I am no expert. Uh, uh, any information that I've gathered today has been from as many articles as I can find, and I'm going to try to present as many facts as I can. Everyone, I encourage to do your own research. You know, uh, if anyone has any questions after this, you know, take notes and there will be homework. Or you can reach out to me via email and I'll do my best to explain as best as I can. because This is a lot of information. So, uh, anywho, back to this. So, the reactor meltdown happened, and this company was really not held accountable. Um Fast forward a little bit further, Abe announces everything is all clear. You find out shortly after, it's not. Shortly after that, there was a law passed in Japan called the State Secrets Act, which is a very, very big deal. And this is one of those instances where uh, Western fans are blissfully unaware of a lot of the political implications of things in this film. And whereas a, someone who is Japanese might pick up on it, or someone who's familiar with some of the political turmoil might see it a little bit more clearly. So the State Secrets Act basically says, in so many words, whatever the government says is private or a secret is a secret. And pretty much anyone who wants to report on that, guess what? You're a traitor. And they can do whatever they want. Um, it is there to imprison whistleblowers. It prohibits the disclosure of classified material, even if it's in the best public interest. Uh, it has power to imprison journalists merely for soliciting information that's classified as secret. Now, that, I believe, is a quote from the Japan Times. Um, it's very scary stuff. So basically, what we have from this, and actually dating back far before that, is an administration that very much has a very tight control over the country, and especially in the film industry and the media, there is a lot of self-censorship as a result of it. And something, you know, that has been a criticism of Shin Godzilla is that it is propaganda. And the more you know about their current administration and everything, the more it all starts to fall into place. And this 311 imagery becomes very much like a trigger where you're going, well, you're showing the images, you're mentioning it, 
you're you're showing people the devastation these these powerful powerful sights and sounds the radioactive cloud the the boats uh washing up when Kamatakun first appears you know and it's used for effect and visceral effect and it really does give imagery the same way that the original film gave gave us so much imagery from from uh, the Tokyo fire bombings from Hiroshima however what it does not address is everything else that followed the government that were presented in the film is not a reflection of the current administration as much as it brings up a lot of criticisms of the administration in the early part with the the comedy and and the social commentary and all of that what it ends up really presenting is almost a rallying call for for nerds like hey Look what happens when we all work together against a common enemy, against a common threat. Uh, and one thing that has been in part of um, – I'm rambling a bit right now, and I promise I will take a breath in a second for you guys to interject. Uh, I'm just trying to set kind of the stage of what's going on here. But one of Abe's, uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's biggest goals is to rearm the self-defense forces – for deployment overseas and with this u.s japan partnership that was in place the idea was to deploy it overseas in service of the united states for continued global policing uh potentially for international threats you know china encroaching on their waters has been a recent issue as actually as recent as the last couple of weeks i want to say there's been some chinese coast guard boats uh going into waters they're not supposed to so what you, what you see now is, given this climate that's been set up with, with Shinzo Abe kind of having a stranglehold on, on the media and the, the people in the country kind of not totally being aware, being accepting of it, or buying the rhetoric. Um, there, is, there is a counterculture that's there, but given uh, Japan's general culture, it's not something that's really nurtured. And, you know, what I think a lot of fans fail to see is these films are coming from the largest film studio in the country that is meant for general consumption. This is not an art studio. These are not art films. These are they're product films, and they always have been. I mean, the fact that we had as much consistency in the early films is because of the people that were involved and the time that they were made. And 2016 is very different from 1954. And this new film portrays a lot of issues in Japan the same way that 54 did. However, whereas 54 came from the humanist side of, of Honda, what we have now is this very unpleasant morality that's presented that I don't think Western fans really understand just for not knowing their political situation right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the only reason the three eleven stuff has stuck so much with the U- U.S. Uh, fan base is it's it's the only thing addre- it pointed out in the movie that they know because it was such a big deal. Um, so, like, it would be like if we made a movie all about like uh, I don't know, like. Um, the Obama administration or something, and then tried to show it to uh, a crowd on the other side of the planet, they're not going to be able to pick up on, 
like 85, 90% of it. Yep, exactly. Imagine even better, like uh, Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. Something like that, where, where you're presented with, with certain images that are, are familiar. However, ultimately, if you leave out the government end of it and the mishandling of the situation and any of the real baggage that comes with what they're saying in the film, something is lost. And I think that's really dangerous. Especially since the American fan base has been so eager to, like, embrace the movie. And, uh, I mean, none of us are saying... I mean, I, Matt and I especially really aren't fans of this movie. So we're not saying, like, if you like the movie, you're wrong or anything. Everyone can like whatever movie they want. That's okay. That's perfectly fine. Yeah. But I think that w- if you're going to embrace the movie like that, I think it would help to do a little digging and see exactly what's going on with it. Because it's not... The, when they said that, hey, this is a movie made about Japan, like, they're not kidding. Like, if you don't... If you're not aware of, like, the last few years of, of Japanese politics and stuff, you're probably not going to understand any of it. I mean, not at all. I mean... Uh- Matt, you're you're obviously as as much as both Kyle and I are are concerned with where our country is going. You know, w- given what I what I just mentioned about their situation, how, what is your takeaway from this? Because you, your <laughs> your first suggestion of of how to handle this podcast was probably the most accurate of how I was feeling, which is like, <laughs> nope, let's just record our own deaths as we drink bleach <laughs> as we record instead of discussing Shin Godzilla, which you know. Um, it's really weird because in this film my my favorite character in the movie was actually the prime minister because he was the he was the only one that had had any i felt any sort of emotional connection to he's kind of he's he's portrayed in my opinion kind of like as this he's he's a doofus he's incompetent but he cares yeah, the, um, the movie's clearly making fun of him. Like, uh, yeah. I think, and I think that's their way of making fun of the response to three eleven. But yeah, to to us, he's like the most decent person in the movie. Yeah, I mean, like he, he clearly cares when mistakes are made, but he's also during the whole three eleven incident. I think the prime minister was a uh, Naoto Khan or Kane. I'm not sure how you say his last name, but he was, you know, he was basically forced to resign after after 311 because of all the essentially the the corruption the hiding of information as you kind of pointed out all the stuff that had gone on that they they kept from the public that actually came to light after the fact um but in the film you know he's he's the only one that that shows besides you know the main character yaguchi he's the only one that i felt any sort of connection to and then halfway through after he's you know killed off you know, there, there, there's no sense of loss. There's no sense of anybody caring. Yeah, we just get um, soggy noodles, Prime Minister. So. <laughs> Which, you know... And, oh, go on, sorry. No, I mean, I mean like, the, the whole thing is, for, for this movie to work, the, the first half of the film works as works to me at least okay. Like, I enjoyed the first half of the film, at least on a just pure enjoyment level, because there was at least him to, to kind of carry me along and carry me through it. And, and the satire, at least the stuff that I understood and, and the jokes and everything, okay, I, I got it, I understood it. And then they dropped that halfway through the film out of nowhere. And then once Godzilla falls asleep, you have nothing to kind of bring everything to, in to carry you along. And the political message that they, that they work to build up and carry you halfway through the film, it, it literally dies off. Yeah. It's, it's like it's two films shoved together almost. 
and then they replaced that message of impaling the former you know administration of japan that handled 311 so poorly with this message of nationalism and rah-rah japan we can do this on our own and that's and that's really my problem with the movie is that that second half of the film is literally the anti the um antithesis of the films that honda made yeah i mean the thing that i think that's that uh, needs to be noted is the it's criticizing this former prime minister however the current political party in japan is the ldp the liberal democratic party which has been continuously in power since 1955 only the only years when it hasn't been in power have been 93 to 94 and i want to say 2009 to 2012 uh and it's yet again back in power and Part of the issue is a lot of the members of this, and I say the higher-ups, are all part of an ultra-patriotic, uh, some call it a religious cult, some par- call it an organization, uh, the Nippon Kaigi. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, in, in doing some research for um, the uh, Kaiju Music Podcast, I stumbled on some some more facts about the Nippon Kaigi. Um but basically, this is a group that denies World War II atrocities, uh, that denies Korean comfort woman, women, that denies so many things that have been well documented. And this is the prime minister. So you have someone who has a very nationalistic uh, and revisionist view of history, leading a country towards a very um, xenophobic end, I suppose. Uh, and part of the issue with this movie is that it really kind of it, it, he supports the movie. He he thought it was a great endorsement of his beliefs. Uh, and what it really me- is saying is that the system of democracy that's been in place since World War II is not able to handle things that we don't have a precedent for. Which, to be fair, is a valid argument. However, what it says alternatively is you know, in the case of a crisis, we should be able to rewrite the Constitution to suit our needs, which if we've learned anything after 9-11 in our country, that doesn't usually end too well. Right. Well, yeah, because we have to deal with things like the Patriot Act here now. Yeah, and exactly. In NSA and, you know... We, we... Well, that's, the State Secrets <laughs> Act is their version of it. It yes. basically says that nobody can speak against the government. Um, one... <laughs> so... Something that's very interesting that I, I came upon in doing my research was, uh, do you remember Angelina Jolie's, excuse me, director Angelina Jolie's first film, um, Unbroken? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> do you know, want to know how long it took to be released in Japan? That was the one that, um, about the Olympic um, guy, right? Yes. Yes. So, uh, it has, it's, takes place during World War II, um, and it's based on a book. So I say this for a couple of reasons. So it was postponed indefinitely when it was originally going to be released in Japan due to pressure from the government and fear of protests. Uh, There were online protests uh, in regards to mentions of Japanese soldiers resorting to cannibalism, uh, which was in the original novel, but not in the film. The film contains no cannibalism or references. Uh, The real protests came from the depiction of uh, wartime atrocities of the Japanese. Um, I'm going to read a quote here, actually. Uh, There is no history of cannibalism in Japanese culture, and there is no mention of it in the book it is based on. 
says Hiromichi Moteki, head of Society for Dissemination of Historical Fact, a nationalist pressure group which led the protests against Unbroken. This film is stupid, fabricated, and humiliating to the Japanese people. We have the full right to stop it in Japan. There is a freedom there is freedom of speech, but a film that contains claims like this without verification shouldn't be permitted, says Moteki, who admits he has not seen the film. <laughs> it is propaganda like the propaganda about the Nanking massacre. There was no massacre. There was not one single unlawful killing. Oh my gosh. You gotta be when, <laughs> when at, he was asked about Japanese soldiers who witnessed this and took part in this, and he explained that it was the result of some being brainwashed in Chinese concentration camps. Holy shit. So, let me let me piggyback that for one more thing. So, in doing this research again, again I, I came into, into something else. There, this Society for the Dissemination of Historical Fact... <laughs> so there was actually the Washington Post did a large article on the truth about comfort women years ago, um, which after the fact, this this organization, the um, the uh, Society for the Dissemination of Historical Fact, uh, took out a full page ad in the Washington Post to set the record straight about comfort women. Um, and there is a list online of the people who signed for this, who wanted it there. And this is the part where it got kind of funny in doing my research. The person who actually initiated the movement was a composer named Koichi Sugiyama, who composed the music for Godzilla vs. Biollante, and wrote the ever-popular tune, Give Back the Sun. That's insane. I didn't know, I didn't yeah. know that part at all. So this is what I mean when I say that we are very oblivious to a lot of this stuff, and it, it opens an interesting discussion, which is, how much moral baggage are we supposed to carry for our pop culture intake from other places? You know, China famously doesn't allow the supernatural to be shown in their films. Mm -hmm. So what do we do when we're presented with something that we're ignorant to a lot of the politics in a political film? It's like seeing Failsafe and having no idea what the Cold War was. It's like or Dr. Strangelove and never knowing what the Cold War is. You're missing a huge part of that picture. Yeah, and if you don't know it, to get back to Godzilla, if you haven't, if you've seen the original film, and you don't know the Lucky Dragon Number no. Five incident, you don't know the firebombing of Japan, you don't know anything about Hiroshima or Nagasaki, you don't know anything about it. What makes that film so impactful is missing. Yeah, it's just going to be a monster movie, to be really. Yeah, and the issue that I, I I'm taking with a lot of what I'm he hearing and reading from fans is that they're saying, ah, oh, there's no political mess. There's no there's no nationalism. There's no nothing, nothing at all in the film. And, you know, I'm not trying to just crap on fans. I'm really not. And I've heard this from from, you know, uh, a close friend of mine saw it and he didn't see anything at all. And, you know, it just comes from not knowing. And there's nothing wrong with not knowing. Ignorance does not mean you're an idiot. It does not mean you're stupid. It just means you don't know something. And that's totally fair. And. Part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast was I've watched Japan slowly change a little bit just by reading headlines from a couple of different reporters that I follow. And it's really sad. And it's really hard to, to think about this stuff when watching this movie because it's a property that originally presented a morality that, as a child, it taught me something. I think it taught both of you something, mm -hmm. which 
you carry to this day this yeah. altruism this humanist idea yeah and- um no f- for sure like uh on trev's because trev is a big x-men fan he has a podcast just about x-men and he he often says on there that the reason why x-men means so much to him is that when he was a kid watching the cartoons reading the comic books it's that's the property that taught him about racism and accepting others and i think for us uh i think it's um stuff like the old toho movies that taught us you know you know that that working together um no matter what race or what country you're from is always gonna top out on you know being stubborn and you know i mean um it wasn't as a kid it wasn't my favorite movie just because you know as a kid you want to see monsters but even as a kid um the scene in atragon where the daughter is confronting her father who is like a, a shamed uh world war ii um i think he was he a general i don't know but he was a yeah he was a general yeah and um you know the the world is basically in need of him you know allowing us to use the gotengo which is his giant flying awesome battleship <laughs> with a drill on the front and he he's he's still not over japan losing world war ii and he's saying no this is a weapon for japan this is a weapon for japan and even as a kid seeing that was like i was so angry at this guy because (laughs) it's like you're being an idiot you're only following this because you're you're you feel like it's what you need to do as a patriot not seeing the bigger picture um and it's so odd to have a movie that is reversing so many themes of of the toho uh movies that we all grew up on i mean here we have a movie that is is where japan is pretty much doing nope we look we don't need you guys anyway we got this uh, and <laughs> they, they screw the u.s and <laughs> backstab them by going to the french and <laughs> just like that's, that's actually one of the interesting things in it is like the only the japan gets its way at the end by showing it has balls. Yeah. In the beginning of the, in the beginning of the movie, he says, I want politicians with balls. Yaguchi declares. And it's so odd because it's also odd because other than the 98, uh, the, the Roland Emmerich Godzilla movie, this is the only Godzilla movie where mankind completely, utterly defeats nature. Completely. And, and and not only it's not and, and well I guess I should change that it's not mankind that defeats nature it's Japan that defeats nature and I I just I don't know how someone can see that and not like think about it as something that is just a little strange or and I, again I mean we're not saying anything bad about people that like the movie that's fine but oh, I no. mean I, there's but a how, discussion to be had yeah but how how do you look at that and not think about what the movie's trying to say you know yeah, it's I mean, not just yeah. the end of a mon- it's not just oh this is how this monster movie ends this you know this is a movie that is saying something godzilla's defeated with the least amount of cost because godzilla's been defeated before but when the oxygen destroyer's law is used it turns tokyo bay into a literal graveyard that they can't use i mean it would have wiped out everything in tokyo bay so there's a massive cost there 
um, when Godzilla is defeated in, in 1985 or 1984 or whatever, I mean, he's defeated by a combination of nature in the volcano and man, and ultimately they know that they haven't killed him off. So he's not really defeated. In this film, he's just beat, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, like, he, he just, in, in handily, like, their, their plan basically works with that, with basically sacrificing Crane Team 1. Rest in peace, right? <laughs> like that's, our hearts, that's the team one. I mean, it, it's and and I, and I hate that because this film, you know, Higuchi was talking about they were going to give us this nightmare version of Godzilla, and I, I don't see that in this film. What I see is a very pathetic version of Godzilla. Yeah, he destroys Tokyo in a really breathtaking scene, which is the best part of the movie. But this Godzilla is he does is it all without quite, moving too. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, he just—I don't know—he's just kind of there, and he's just taking what, a walk. He's minding his own damn business. <laughs> we dropped some some bombs in his back, and he got pissed and nuked us, and then took a nap. Yeah, he turned. Well, he it, turned into a Pink Floyd light show first, but. <laughs> well, I think that just to, to go away from the politics for a second, I think it's really funny that halfway through the movie, he nukes Tokyo, takes a nap, frozen in the middle of Tokyo. End of movie, frozen, takes a nap in the middle of Tokyo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So I, I've realized that I can stop watching after he nukes everything and go, well, that's the end of the movie. I didn't miss anything after that. <laughs> well, that's that, and that's that's the problem. It's like, I don't know. It's it, it just minimal cost. It, it just defeats the character for me. It's, it's a mischaracterization of Godzilla to me. Oh, that, and that's yeah. that's another thing that I hate. But I don't know. I mean, we're not talking about that. But. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, OK, so we, we've kind of given people an idea of what politically is going on in Japan uh, so I guess partly, partly actually there's there's one more thing that I wanted to touch on but continue what you're saying I'm sorry oh, uh, well I was I was gonna get into a couple things um, yeah. mainly I want to talk about fan misconceptions um, just who Shinzo Shinzo Abe is um, and just ultimately what the movie is trying to say but but I mean before we go into that what what was the what was your your point oh, I mean if, if we're gonna go further into into Abe um, we can I can continue after after the fact it's just there's there's some more um, implications to that idea of we can modify the Constitution ultimately he has some very specific goals in mind that are very scary and you know I, I think the morality of the film overall is not one that obviously we agree with, but what it really does present is a case that, you know, the government has your best interest in mind, trust us to do the right thing, and adapt to deal with any situation. But you have to allow us to adapt. And though what we see in the film is an idealized version of the Japanese government, in a way, we have seen this before in in you know, however many kaiju films for the last few decades, or honestly the entire history of them, you see an ideal, idealized version of the world where everybody works together, or an idealized version of Japan. But in this, 2016, as I've said, and as we all are very painfully aware of right now, as I refill my drink, um, <laughs> is a very different year than 1954 or 1964. Or even something like uh, Godzilla vs. Hedora, which is the one counterculture kaiju film that I can think of. All of the rest are, are fairly conservative movies. Though though liberal in, in the beliefs that they're presenting, they're very straightforward films that are not exactly critical of the government at all. 
And this one especially, it was criticizing a government that hasn't been around for a very long time. It's criticizing a certain type of politicians, whereas it's endorsing some very dangerous ideas that when you put them in this context and you present this disaster and this imagery that is so powerful, it makes a pretty compelling argument. And it makes me wonder how much of this is completely being taken in and how much of it is really just, you know, it's a, it's a big budget popcorn film. This was their tent pole. This was one of two tent poles they had this summer. It was uh, Shin Godzilla and Your Name. So this isn't, is not meant for us. It, the fans are one thing, but if you think Godzilla fans are the main target audience of this, I mean, I, I don't know how delusional certain people are, but we don't generate that much revenue. <laughs> no. <laughs> we, we just don't. So this morality is for the mass populace. The same way when I, I'm trying to think of an equivalent film here uh, that would be something, but we don't really – our politics are, are kind of muddled in our blockbusters with the exception of our obvious propaganda, you know, like Deepwater Horizon and the, the upcoming Boston Marathon bombing movie. Those are, those are propaganda films uh, in, in their own way. Mm-hmm. But we don't really have anything like this, and that's why I think it's an interesting film. Because it, it, it starts a discussion. However, the end point, the, the thesis of the film, I guess you would say, is a very dangerous one, considering the current political climate that fans are unfortunately uh, mostly oblivious to. So, obviously, I mean... Our thing is, we're we're talking about the movie pre- presents and endorses all these toxic ideas. Like what when when we talk about that, what are the main? What are these ideas? What are the ones that stick out the most that the movie's really kind of backing? I mean, to me, it's it reads as a rah rah call to nerds. As who are the ones who are who will help the government and who ultimately help everything come together in the end to defeat Godzilla? It's the nerds. It's the social outcasts. It's the weirdos. They're the ones who they go to. And in that way, I think a lot of fans are kind of misled to, to think that, oh, no, this is a really a pro-nerd movie. No, the, the nerds are working for the government. And what it's showing is that if the nerds help the government, if you, the weirdos, the outcasts, the otaku, if you come and help the government, look how strong we can be. That's what I get out of that morality. That's what I get out of that message. Um, at the end of this, what I think I, – I can't say there's one definite moral message of this is the ultimate point of the movie. But I think the main points of that are trust your government. They have your best interest in mind. Allow them to change. You know, Rewriting the Constitution, not such a bad idea when there's a big monster taking a walk through a major metropolitan area. Or taking a stumble, I guess, as it first is. <laughs> or, or casually floating through the city like a parade floor. <laughs> <laughs> casually floating through a badly rendered CGI cloud. <laughs> so I guess on that point, um, just what, so what, tell us a little bit, what, what is up with Shinzo Abe? What's his deal? And ultimately, why is he such a fan of this movie? I mean, he, he is concerned very much with his legacy. And I, I mentioned he's part of the Nippon Kaigi, uh, which I, Hope I think it's just Kaigi, so I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, this is a very traditional group of people. This is if you can ha- trying to think of a good parallel here. Um, Trump <laughs> supporters, I'm not going to go that far because I wouldn't want to demean um, 
it, well, actually, it's it's hard to say. I don't live in Japan. I cannot judge. However, um, what it ultimately presents is he is part of a group of people that would like things to be the way that they were. He wants Japan to be proud of being Japan because they are Japan. He, he His idea of Abenomics, which was his grand scheme to uh, re-stimulate the economy, is that the only thing that is stopping the economy is the Japanese people from taking taking life and going ah no we should be proud of this we should be you know we should be doing our thing and be proud and not be meek and part of that is the the cool japan initiative which this film is part of so is pokemon go any any bit of japanese culture you see spreading across the globe right now is part of this cool japan initiative which is to remind the world that japan exists because guess what most of the world doesn't care anymore because the pop culture exports were the only point of reference so why would he want the rest of the world to know this? Well, he's th- what's coming up in 2020? The Olympic Games uh, in Japan, which was there have been several reports of corruption in bidding for the Olympics to be there. Uh, the Japan Times reported a consultant firm in Singapore may have may have been used to buy votes uh, in Tokyo's successful bid. Uh, this man wants to be prime minister in 2020. In order to do that, he needs to rewrite the Constitution, which is actually it being voted on in, in March uh, to extend terms to nine years, which would make him the longest running prime minister in quite a long time. Uh, and with someone with the political party that's been in power for that long, with someone who is doing his best to make the world know that Japan is there, doing his best to really sow ties with uh, the Obama administration, you know, where is this leading to? Well, the the guy really wants to make Japan another global power as best as he can, as far as I can tell, or at the very least, make sure that he has a place in that. Uh, as you can tell, this is a little bit touchy. I'm trying not to overstate anything right now because I'm, again, I'm going by what I'm reading. I'm going by the articles, and I don't want to assume but he wants to be the he wants to be prime minister during the Tokyo Olympics in 2020 which if we've learned anything about any past olympic games the people suffer people at the top get money they're demolishing large portions of Tokyo very old portions of Tokyo for the olympic games so he's just another one of those big ugly bad politicians and he has you he wants control and he has control so as far as an ultimate goal, I genuinely don't know. But these are just some of the goals that I've been able to take away from from the research I've been doing. So um, our uh, our buddy Norman, one of the, when he saw this movie, one of the first things he told me was that he felt like this movie had an evil soul. Hmm. What and it sounds like that's kind of where you're going with this. Yes. What yes. What about? I mean, so I mean, and, and this is we we'll, we'll use this to segue into just kind of how the the intake the the way the American fans took this in and and interpreted it. But what when you when we hear that this this movie is evil or endorses these dangerous messages. What I guess, what what are the misconceptions that I mean? The movie has been out for in in the states for 
almost a month now to the day. And so what... What a, we, Everyone's had a lot of time to think about it, um, think about what it means, and, you know, people have put up their reviews, their podcasts. What, what exactly, and I mean, a lot of those, within the last month, with, so with one month of us, all three of us, really, looking at the reactions to this movie, what do you think is, are the most common misconceptions or... Um, the 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 most repeated misinformation that people have uh, said regarding what this movie means and what what it's actually saying because there there's almost like a kind of um almost like a movement uh, within a cluster of the fandom to kind of look at to to kind of take what people like uh, Steve Rifle or Norman England have said about what this movie is actually trying to say and kind of, I don't want to really say disprove it, but kind of say like, oh no, you're wrong, you're looking into this too much. Try to dismiss it. Yeah, dismissing the things that aren't so pleasant about the movie. And by doing that, it feels like they're either willfully brushing it off, willful ignorance, or maybe a lot of it really is just going over their head and they're getting pulling out some other message from it. What have you noticed have been like the biggest cases of misinformation or or misinterpretation or misconception behind this movie on the American front? My takeaway is there's a lot of projecting going on, and you can and we've been you know sharing all these these goofy ass Kamatakun uh, memes and. <laughs> Yeah, the, all that, the, the all baby that Godzilla nonsense. memes are by far the best thing to come out of this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're hilarious, and it's great. Uh, however, you know, people tend to feel... So, all right, let me, let me backtrack for a second. Seeing something foreign and not knowing the context in which it was created, not knowing the time, uh, what led to it being the way that it is, you take away a large portion of the understanding of the film. If, as I mentioned before, if you didn't know Lucky Dragon number five incident, firebombing, etc., etc., you'd be missing half, if not three quarters, of the original film. When you, the only analogy I can think of is it becomes just a monster movie, so you get the re-edit version. Uh, as how people tend to look at things they don't totally understand them is they project their own values and their own interpretations, whether or not they really understand it, and they kind of fill in the blanks that they don't catch. I mean, there's a lot to take in in this movie and just the basic political stuff or even just the direction that's presented. I mean, Anno made a very conscious movie, whether we like it or not, or it's a good movie or a bad movie. There are a lot of very conscious directorial choices that he made. Unfortunately, it seems like in all of the oversaturation of dialogue, of new stuff, of the fact that people are, you know, they're seeing it in theaters once, twice or in other cases many 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 times i'm sure i mean i I saw it plenty of times because it was playing down the street from where i live i couldn't not it's why the hell not i have nothing else to do with my life uh other than be on this wonderful podcast (laughs) so like i said it goes back to projecting people fill in the blanks so if you miss the overall political message you go oh it's about working together it's about the nerds saving japan oh yes but it's also about a giant ancient thing that fed on nuclear waste and evolved and took a walk 
and then took a nap and <laughs> took a walk. And they put him to go to sleep and you know, made him take a nap again. Uh, it can be about a lot of things. But I think people tend to just, if they don't, if they hear something negative about something that makes them feel good, they tend to dismiss it. No one wants to look at the ugly side of things. If, if you look at something unfortunate about a film, say, say you, you saw, for example, the Twilight Zone film from the 80s, and you didn't know that child actors were killed, it's a very different movie. Mm-hmm. If you don't know that, it's a very different movie. And with this, because the context is so specific, and because the implications are very political, it's really complicated. If I have to sit someone down and go, no, listen, there's this thing called the LDP that's been in power since 1955, and there's this guy who's the prime minister who, yes, yeah, the guy who dressed up like Mario. Yeah, the one who dressed up like Mario. <laughs> that's not the, No, it doesn't matter who dressed up like Mario. He's not a good guy. <laughs> He's really xenophobic. He's really not for women's rights at all. In fact, he really would be very happy if it was all just old men who wanted things the way they were before, you know, things got bad, you know, back in the good old days. Um you know, without any of that, you're missing something. And fans don't want to hear it because it means that this thing that means so much to them and that it may have been a safe place for them for their entire lives, maybe right now isn't the best thing. And I think a lot of fans in this fandom especially are very nostalgia-driven. Everyone wants more of the same. And it, the Millennium films were just for children and fan service. That's why they were very repetitive and gave you more of the same. And, you know, it becomes so easy to just say, oh, well, I understand this thing as this. this my comprehension of this character, this property, is this, 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 is this. And because you're talking about something that has been reaching back for decades, I mean, this is the longest running film series of all time uh, am i wrong is there something that started before this uh as far as like actual licensed film franchises uh yes, yes it is i mean um i mean you have stuff like that's in public domain but that's not uh, yeah. really you know that's no, not no. franchised I, really yeah i, I just think a, a film series like this so you've got a lot of history and a lot of people who've been watching these things for a very long time and they pick and choose the ones they like and dislike i mean you know Matt doesn't like Smog Monster. I Ooh, love Smog Monster. So do I. Matt, you're bad. It's bad person. It's terrible. Hate it. <laughs> I mean, my, my point is that that's not your interpretation of the character. You don't dig it. That's fine. Movie's fucking weird. It's very weird. But you know what? I like weird. That's fine. Uh, someone may look at that and go, that's not my interpretation of the character. I only like these serious, message-driven movies. All two of them. Three of them now, I guess. Uh, and the rest are just okay. Someone else might say, "Oh, I only like the Showa films." Hell, there's a whole it, now. There's a whole generation of people that um, their first movie was the '98 movie. Oh, you know, I'm gonna pour myself another drink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's you know, these things happen. It's you know, same with Star Wars. It's the same deal with anything that has baggage in history. And the only series I can compare this to is James Bond because it's so old and there are so many interpretations of the character. And everyone picks and chooses what their idea of the character is. Is, is Godzilla a, a, a metaphor? Is Godzilla just a monster movie? Is it a monster mash movie where it's just two big creatures destroying crap and punching the living shit out of each other? Oh, It could be many things. And with this, because you're presented with so much new information and subtitles that are flying at about 300 miles an hour, you know, it's very easy to not 
be able to take it all in. And it's even easier to not take it all in if you don't know what it's even talking about or referencing. And the obvious imagery will paint a complete picture. However, if you don't know the rest of the story and the rest of the picture, you're really missing something. It, it, all I can say to fans who are listening to this, who, who love this film and who are disagreeing with everything I'm saying is pay attention to Hollywood over the next four years. Just watch. Every single studio is at the service of special interest, whether it be product, whether it be companies, whether it be who owns the film studio. Because remember, film studios aren't owned by cigar chomping moguls anymore. They're owned by corporations. And unfortunately, in Japan, it's the same way. It's uh, committee filmmaking. I just encourage fans to really try to take a step back and look at this context that would make a movie like this. Whether you love it or hate it, just try to understand that under this administration, they cannot, there's no scrutiny. There were three veteran broadcasters who were forced to resign because they asked tough, tough questions. People who are forced to quit, uh, where, you know, what is it? Um, I'm going to read uh, another quote here, actually. Um, uh, it is very worrying that Japanese media are practicing self-censorship in this way. They do not seem to be aware of their role as a watchdog. Koichi Nakano, a politics professor at Sofia University, said it was impossible to prove a direct link between the government and the termination of the a- anchor's contracts. But there is plenty of anecdotal evidence that shows that Abe uh, and another administration individual, Suga, who I'm not familiar with, have been very active in applying pressure and whining and dining media bosses. So what this ultimately means is you have a climate where nobody can criticize the government because nobody can report on anything the government says is secret. However, you're telling me a movie about politics, about very sensitive politics that criticize the the government in charge during the time of 311. And it brings up some very, very harsh criticisms of the Constitution and their structure of government. And in fact, it directly criticizes democracy at several, several points. Uh, which, you know, whatever your thoughts on democracy, fine, whatever. You cannot tell me that all of this together does not have a much bigger picture that kind of should be looked at. It's, yeah. It's really sad, I think. Now, um, speaking of Abe, uh, as we know, he endorsed the film a lot, and he... Um, and. And another thing that's bothered me uh, since before I even saw it is Godzilla is now... The character is on posters that are trying to recruit people into the military. And I, I, I just feel like that's so distasteful, especially given the origins of this character and what the series has kind of stood for for the last 60-some years. And now he's showing up... I mean, it's basically like, you know, how back in... Uh, the forties, you, you, you saw Batman and Superman in, in, you know, uh, ads and posters and DC comics saying, Hey, buy war bonds. And I mean, to do something like that to a character like this, to me just seems kind of perverted really. And and I don't, I, I honest to God don't know how there's any fan like the movie or not any fans out there who, are okay with that. That blows my mind. Um, at the most, I've seen people like, well, 
you know, your main character in the legendary movie is a soldier, and they, you know, had cooperation from the U.S. Navy, blah, blah, blah. And, okay, sure, that's true, but the movie, if anything, shows a very kind of ineffective military who don't know, really don't know what they're doing. And it, it never... They're pretty come- open about that, though. Yeah. It, <laughs> they're like, we don't know what the hell to do with this thing, man. <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> and that's actually why I liked uh, David Strathairn's character, because he pretty much yes. says, like... I don't know what this means. I don't know what I'm doing. If anyone has any <laughs> ideas, tell me, please. Yeah, a friend of mine, uh, Car- uh, I'm not sure if you ever met him, uh, Carl, uh, just ran into David Stratham actually in uh, in New York City the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, he's also a fellow G fan and was very happy. Yeah, I, I got the sense of that looking at the interviews. He seemed to kind of, like, at least with the original movie, kind of really kind of know what what he was do- like going for working yeah. on a Godzilla movie. Um, but I, I just don't see how anyone can be okay with the way that this character, who, I mean, is still very popular with children. I mean, because, I mean, we look back at, like, the old DC Comics endorsements of War Bonds, and we laugh, and we're like, ha, I can't believe they did that to Batman and Superman. These characters kids love. Ha, ha, ha. It's been a long time, so it's funny. I don't see how it's any this is any better than that i i I think that that's the exact same thing yeah i mean personally i read it as as a rallying call for nerds to join the military or or to join the to join up with this administration to make japan great again and i know that's a really hurtful thing to say right now but ultimately that is kind of the rhetoric that abe has been spewing so Um, well, talking about Abe, this is what he said about the movie. He said, uh, The chairman of the Joint Staff Council and members of the Self-Defense Force appear in the movie and are all depicted as very heroic. And then this is where he's just, I don't know if he even knows what he's talking about. He says, I think Godzilla's popularity is rooted in the unwavering support that the public has for the Self-Defense Force. <laughs> has he ever seen a Godzilla movie besides this one? That's what I want to know. I I don't think so. uh, who the hell knows who gives a shit. <laughs> like that, personally, what it uh, look if that quote doesn't say it, I don't know what else to. I don't know if there's anything else I can possibly plead a case. If I'm even pleading a case, I'm just trying to state as many facts that I've gotten from different articles. Anyone thinks I'm making anything up? Uh, leave leave some contact information, and I will do my best to provide as many sources as I can. Uh, Abe is very much trying to build up the military. Uh, he is not for women's rights at all. In fact, he's very against women's rights, uh, which Japan rated, what was it, uh, very low in terms of equality in the world. Yeah, it was, it was uh, really bad. I saw that article. Very <laughs> bad. Very, very bad. Um, yet he just released a statement criticizing the treatment of women in the military, saying we need to get rid of this male-driven culture. So someone who's not for women's rights is talking about getting rid of male-driven culture in the military to get women to join the military. Uh, you're saying a movie like this where the, the otaku types, the nerds, the weirdos, social outcasts, where you go as far as casting Shinya Tsukamoto as the top of it, who is an independent maverick director and has been for decades, you're saying that you're not trying to recruit the weirdos? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. It just it's it reads as very obvious to me, and 
knowing all of this and given everything that I've presented, and there's even more, you know, uh, strayed thoughts that I've put down after watching this movie that are just like, no, this is how Anno directed this film is really trying to present very specific ideas, and it is very conscious. And to say that this is all just coincidence, we are all just bitter film nerds overanalyzing a movie about, normally I would just say a movie about a giant lizard, but it's a giant thing that takes a walk. <laughs> so uh, it, it's fun, like, obviously I, I've seen it as being like a rah-rah call for, you know, for for Japan and and saying, oh, it's, cr- it's criticizing this previous administration and it's the young uh the young, stressed out, overworked patriots that do it at the end. I got all that. I never put it together that the movie is, like, main circle of protagonists are the weirdos and the nerds. And, yeah, Sukamoto being the main one, I, I never thought that it could be trying to get otaku to join the military. And now that you've said it, it seems so obvious that I feel like such an idiot for not putting that together... Matt, is that something that you've thought of? No, I, I didn't even I didn't even grasp it, and I should have. But like, he's right. No, it, it it seems like it's so it seem it's so obvious. I, I like I am just now like hearing this and being like, wow, I it, that's almost impossible to argue. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not an expert on anything. <laughs> if I could, if I could have that in my resume, that, it's just that, interpret- that interpretation makes so much sense. This is my takeaway from it, based on the facts that I've, I've, no- that I, I say the facts about the, the facts as I've been able to research them to the best of my abilities, which you know, with enough hours and enough looking through things and going from uh, a couple of sites I've been following. Uh, you know, the, the picture that is painted came together pretty quickly for me. It's like, oh, okay, this is just this. The same way when you watch some movies when you're like, this has a little bit of a political slant where it might be obvious to us as, as Americans. This, it may not be obvious to us because it's not uh, – we're not hearing our own voices. We're hearing a very different voice and – you know, uh, something I actually really wanted that, that I'm, I'm curious how much because you've, you've you guys have seen uh, Lorelei, the the, the, yeah. the witch of the, yes, the witch of yes, the sea, the Higuchi uh, movie, yes, yeah, and uh, you know, Ano, uh, I've only seen the first episode of Gunbuster, so I can't say for sure how much the imperialist message is there. I'm going to watch the rest of it when I can get a hold of it. Uh, but from what I've understood is is that these guys do have a history of being to the right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really hard thing for people to understand is the people that they love and respect as artists more morally aren't always on the right side. Uh, and I say the right side being the side that uh, the side that we've been presented for so long. Yeah. It's been a humanist side. Well, and, um, oh. well, it, it's it, well, um, Matt and I recently recorded an episode about the the sinking of japan movies and we kind of compared higuchi's version to the the original and seeing and kind of taking note that the higuchi version does go a little bit more to the right and we're we're going to be talking about lorelei very soon also we're going to be contrasting it with atragon and latitude zero um very soon on an episode and 
and so I mean, there's those, and then Anno, um, yeah, there's Gunbuster. Uh, Anno's favorite movie of all time is The Battle of Okinawa, which he said that he's seen over like something like 200 times, and was very influential on this film. Um, so yeah, and I, I also think when we're talking about the American fans looking at this movie, and, and this has also been kind of a mission statement for the podcast, is that American Godzilla fans are so isolated in that realm that they 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 don't always open themselves up to other properties or I mean there's some Godzilla fans that have no interest in seeing something like even Atragon or War of the Gargantuas and I mean going outside of that they they aren't interested in seeing something that doesn't have a kaiju in it or or going into anime or different horror movies like it's a very insular thing and that's kind of I mean, they they won't they they aren't interested in something like Harryhausen because you know it's not a Japanese man in suit. But the, like, the, there's a DNA that all this stuff shares, and that's kind of when when Matt and I talked about starting this. I was like, look, if we're gonna do this, we we should kind of try to talk about things outside of just Godzilla, Gamera, and Ultraman because a that would make for a podcast that's gonna last us like a year, and b so many people aren't paying attention to this stuff that really should. And so I think that part of that is is led to a lot of fans not being familiar with Anno and Higuchi's other works or them as people and being unfamiliar with the fact that they do have very nationalist kind of imperialistic views and Shin Godzilla is their first exposure to their work and you know, without having seen any of that stuff, maybe it is easier for them to dismiss, oh, you're just blah, blah, blah. But it's like, no, this is like, these are two, like, auteur filmmakers who have presented this in many things in the past. It's, it should be obvious. However, the the problem is, look, Anno is established because of, of Evangelion, which is a world-renowned uh, masterpiece, or so I've been told, Uh I, I like it a lot. I like, I like Eva, it a lot. Yeah, I like Eva a lot, actually. And yeah, no, I, I'm not crapping on it. I just mean it's it's considered a masterpiece. And that's so, that's <laughs> another thing is Eva. Eva is, might be. I mean, I'm sure there's some things here and there that maybe I haven't picked up on, but Eva is such a a uh, a purge of Anno's. Like it, it, it's more about his own clinical depression and his view of people and how they interact. That it's it's. It's not as political as something like, uh, you know, Higuchi's Lorelei or um, or Gunbuster. Like Evangelion is more uh, like a, a, a his own deconstruction of, you know, it's it's of himself more or less. It's a very look. It's a it's a very conscious work, and I think just like Shin Godzilla, it is a very conscious work. And if nothing else, I think fans need to start understanding that the decisions that were made are there for a reason. Um, you know, the fact that Yaguchi is the only character in the film wearing a white shirt and a red tie, do you, does anybody really think that they just put on these clothes that just happened to fit perfectly and on camera look the right way? You think it's a coincidence that w- during this the sequence when... Uh, the the small the small group of the some of the weirdos for the first time are sitting down together and they comment on Yaguchi's shirt stinking. 
he's seated in front of the Japanese flag when the younger politician brings up how great it feels to see everyone working together for one means and dropping formalities and just, you know, getting their hands dirty together. Yaguchi's framed in front of the Japanese flag. Take from this what you will. Anno knew exactly what he was doing in in this film. And although it, it's ultimately a mixed bag due to the climate of the film being created, the budget, the fact that it is a Japanese film, which means that, you know, take the budget of a Hollywood blockbuster and slash it and slash it again and more and more and more. <laughs> the fact that the, the CGI was, was a, seems like it was almost in the 11th hour and farmed out to three different effects houses. You know, despite all of this, he made a very conscious film. And I think to dismiss someone like Norman England is ridiculous. I mean, he's he's been on the ground with this stuff. Uh, I, I heard him on the... Oh God, I've, I've read enough interviews with him for, for years now. It's like I, I, I'm, I'm going to stumble over my words if I try to cite specific things at this point. He knows what he's talking about. He lives there. He's not stupid. <laughs> he's been reporting on these films and their production for a while. If you can name someone else who might be more qualified... I say qualified as in anyone in this fandom who is on the ground there, who has been on the ground there, who has reported on this stuff there and been a fan <laughs> who knows directors, who knows directors. <laughs> like it's just, you literally just interviewed Tezuka like two days ago. <sighs> it, uh, all of this together. <clears throat> you, if you dismiss this, as an American who does not know about any of the things that I brought up, or even if you know it's just a small percentage of it, like take a deep breath, step outside. Given our current political climate, that's everything that's just occurred, step back inside and really think, is it possible that the thing that you love is not in your best interest? That it doesn't care about you? That it has a very dark message behind it? that is going against what made you love the property in the first place is that happening and the answer for me is yeah and i'm to say it now is i like the film i don't love it i like it and it's been a tough path of wow this is really hard for me to stomach but i do enjoy a lot of things that were in the film i don't think it's perfect at all i'm never going to say it is uh if i were to give it a rating i'd give it like 2.5 out of 5 I gave it a two. There's some stuff that I I, I, I do enjoy, but it's yeah. There's um, give it a, maybe, a, maybe a three if I'm on a, on a nice day and if I have enough enough in my system to go. Yeah, it's great. But you know, it's, it's been like really on the uh, alcohol and or drugs when you watched it that day. Oh God, no, that was, <laughs> after enough viewings, you're like, all right, there there's got to be something I'm missing here. Um, see if my brain gets flexed in the right direction. I'll see if I pick something else up. Um, but ultimately, a lot of this has just come from knowing what it's talking about, knowing what it's referencing, and just doing the research. It's all there. Uh, we are able to to look at this in a different way. Their media is not reporting on these things. And um, a lot of articles are buried. It's funny, uh, just with this movie just being... It's bureaucracy porn. Um, <laughs> but, and I, I know, I know uh, that's that's something uh, Trev said when he wrote his review on Letterboxd. Um, uh, man, I know you're not quite as much of a cinephile as a lot of the rest of us, um, but have you seen uh, the Kurosawa movie Akiru? 
I have not. I, I'm actually going to start watching the Kurosawa movies soon. That one, uh, that one, take take a deep breath before you watch that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, one now favorites. would be a good time to get into that, Matt, because Barnes yes. & Noble has that badass 50% off uh, Criterion sale going. Just saying. Yeah. Um, yep. That, that's actually something I'm going to be looking at uh, for Christmas. But um, uh, it's funny. Yoshiki Takahashi, who uh, who wrote um, Science Sono's movie Cold Fish, um, <laughs> Matt... Knowing how easily shaken you are because you're a decent person that views the human race positively, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not sure uh, what kind of uh, thing you'd need before watching Coldfish. But Chris, have you seen Coldfish? I have not, but actually it's funny you mentioned that. One of the uh, journalists who I've been following is Jake Edelstein, who is a, an American who's lived in Japan and reported on the, the underbelly of Japan since the early 90s. He's the reporter who was on that case oh okay yeah. uh it's a great movie it's I, w- I would describe it like straw dogs on crack like it's, <laughs> it's crazy but um uh norman shared a, a post on facebook where he said like shin godzilla is like the the anti ikiru and that it's it's like it's almost like if you made a, a a movie that was like ikiru just from the the bureaucrat's point of view and just like how wrong-headed that is just like Oh wow! Uh, just like as a, just the idea of that, how how just wrong that is, and I can't help but think that that's a very sensible comparison, really. I mean, to a po- I think to a point, I think they both bring up uh, very valid criticisms of the Japanese government structure, which is you know, if, if you read anything about their post-war policy. You understand that it was a it was created in a really strange way, and there are have always been criticisms. And the fact that it goes back to a film like Ikiru is, you know, if Kurosawa is commenting on it, you probably should listen. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing with this with Shin that's so interesting is that it brings up some really valid points. It does. Just like you can say, I'm not going to say Trump brings up valid points. I'm just not going to. But. Because that's just in bad taste right now. Because he, he really... Has... <laughs> I'm going to trail off and try to regain this. <clears throat> um, you need to drink some more. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh, Take yeah, a drink. <clears throat> anyway, uh, so it brings up valid points in the context of some very terrible final points, I guess. Or the good points that are brought up amongst a lot of dangerous ideas. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can agree with that, and uh, I mean, like, I can see why the Japanese or the rest of the world even would have the opinion that they do of the U.S. in in Shin Godzilla. You know, that's a very commonly held opinion about America, and it's not necessarily off base. But so no. much of the rest of the movie is saying something completely different that is more toxic. Um, now, uh, you used. It, you know, jokingly, kind of um, the the phrase "make Japan great again," and so <laughs> I mean, obviously, anyone listening to this now knows that the next U.S. president is Donald Trump. Would you? And uh, I, I remember president of what? <laughs> I remember Jim Ballard saying that this movie is the Japanese equivalent to a Trump rally. Now that might be a little dramatic. 
It probably is very dramatic. Yes, but it's not totally off base. So, I I mean, would you, to give American fans more of a a kind of point of reference, would you say that he's comparable to Trump in any way? And if so, how? No. Um, Okay, I wouldn't go that far because he is a politician. I wouldn't. I'd say a lot of things, but I wouldn't insult that aspect of his character. He is a he is a politician. Um, what this is actually closer to is our right wing, our actual right wing, where people want it to be Norman Rockwell 1950s again. They want everyone to have the same values that they share, that they grew up with. They want society to be the way that it was because it was simpler. It was better. Uh, they want their nation to be number one and it's a dangerous rhetoric when you ignore progress for decades and japan has a very long list of issues uh women's rights gay rights trans rights everything much like we do it's a very xenophobic nation in a lot of ways um and I think that is something that is very uncomfortable for a lot of Western fans to really take in. Mm-hmm. Someone like Abe is in power for a lot of reasons. Um, and it is really... It's hard to compare him to someone like Trump because Trump is such an anomaly. The, the man was, you know, was, was birthed with a pile of money, you know, made, his, made, made a living by screwing people. And is now leader of what I, we understand has been called the. Um, the uh, oh, he's, he's the leader of the. Oh, let me check my reference book. They called it the. They called it the free world, I think, but I'm not so <laughs> sure. Uh, this man is is a different kind of of problem. Um, I'm hesitant to, to to say too much again about saying oh he is a problem. You know he obviously has a lot of supporters. However, there are a lot of issues that are there with making sure he's in power and not criticized, and the wrong people are never there. And I think that we have something like that to look forward to over the next four years. So there is a little bit of commonality then in that at least Trump, a large part of his platform was the Make America Great Again slogan and kind of tapping into what older white people usually um, want which is, which is that Norman Rockwell-esque, you know, everything was this way fantasy. So there is a so it sounds like there is a commonality between the two there at least at the very least. Yeah, no. That would be the biggest commonality is the the making America great again idea is think we want things to be like the way they were, man, back in the day when no one had rights except the chosen <laughs> the chosen few. So uh, so and and when, and when you say that you mean pre-World War II. Is that is it when you say Japan? Uh, is that the version of Japan that these people are trying want to get back, or is it a different period? I'm not. Again, I am not an expert about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, with this, it seems like it's that idealized version of pre-war Japan, or even if you want to look at the Showa period, the immediately post-war Japan period, where you know the slow growth of prosperity. I think it's the pre-war, personally is what it sounds like with a lot of his ideas, mm-hmm. uh, which is very scary because, you know, whereas, let me see, where's the um, the quote from our, our our stunning hero of the film, Yaguchi, 
wishful thinking and armchair theories by the old imperial army in the last war led to three million lives lost. Beware of unfounded optimism. <laughs> that wasn't really what did it. It was ultranationalism. It was manipulating religion to get the general populace behind a movement that was terrible. And that led to, I mean, not to say it didn't lead to World War II. World War II was already happening. But this is, this is not the issue. Unfounded optimism, maybe that was what got, that got something started, but it was nationalism. It was nationalism and religion used as a weapon and as a societal control. And the history books show that. It's very scary that they have a prime minister who is, like, almost there. Well, we were trying to think of, like, an equivalent, but it sounds like almost like their uh, equivalent of a Holocaust denier. Exactly, it is, because they didn't, he, he is a denier of World War II atrocities. And, uh, and, part of that group. and uh, with, I guess, with, with, with those kind of, impl- like, uh, uh, Thing implementations that you talked about earlier about reporting on it and talking about it. Um, I mean, first of all, I, I think it's very kind of. I think it's obvious that that's kind of what Kaneko was hinting at in GMK. To that, a point, yeah. That you guys are basically people are dumb. You're forgetting all these things that have <laughs> happened, and I, and it's making me start to wonder if if he was allowed to make more direct references to things like the Nanking Massacre, would he have done that? Because I feel like GMK... wouldn't have been able to. Yeah. It would never happen. You have to understand, Toho has always played it safe, and they will. And this movie is, whether you, whether anybody wants to believe it or not, is is uh, reasonably safe. It's, it's What I know about Kaneko, it seems like that's kind of what he was going for, but, you know, with 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 him working with Toho and the way things are in Japan, he wasn't able to say as much as he wanted to, at least specifically. It does make me appreciate GMK a lot more. <laughs> Just the whole message behind it. Which, again, is bringing is another thing that's like the inverse of, of what we're dealing with with Shin Godzilla. And then the other thing, uh, and this this is one where I we might have to say, like, okay... This might be someone looking too much into it, but I had a, a friend on Facebook point out that uh, it's Germany who are the first ones to cooperate with Japan's backdoor dealings that end up defeating Godzilla at the end. Obviously, we know <laughs> about the axis of evil and uh, <laughs> and um, you know J- Japanese and German uh, relations in World War Two. Do you think that was any kind of deliberate anything, or do you think that's just the, the I, way it went? Personally, I can't say that. That one is. A, I think that's a little bit of a stretch, um, just because things are a little different now. But I, I, it would. It may have been. It may have been one of the few humanist parts of the film, uh, where it basically shows people are are they're hesitant to like. Oh, we don't know if we want to share this information. I, I don't know. Um, and then the the one scientist says, no, no, it's, it's share. Let's help them out. Why not? Um, and, you know, at the end, the, the Japanese share this, this data that they get from Godzilla and all the studies to share with the rest of the world, um, which, you know, th- you could say that is a slightly humanist idea. However, there's a lot of other things that, ha- that happened before that that 
kind of sway it the other way a little more than than just the ending of hey look we shared all the great stuff we learned from this big thing so um i know before we started recording the three of us were talking about i know you especially brought up the prime minister in 84 so i and i know you you kind of wanted to bring up just the theme of nationalism uh or pacifism in other godzilla movies or toho films and i know that that sounds like something you had a lot to say about is um i mean are there any observations or anything that kind of because you you definitely researched this above it you went above and beyond the call of duty to come on here and talk which is i mean part of it was was oh go on sorry well i was just gonna say that that's great and everything but it sounds like that is something that you did have a lot to say about and i i want to give you the opportunity to to get out any of those points that you might have had I mean, it really was one big point that I think is something that fans really should hear because that because this is a political film, because the original one is political and because 84 is regarded as, you know, I'm going to say it's regarded as one of the best films in the series by most fans. And immediately as I say that, you know, 70 percent of the fan base I'd never heard of, you know, spits out their grilled cheese sandwich, knocks over their, their glass of milk and goes, <laughs> no, I hate that one. You know, however... My, my point with this is that people love that movie for a lot of reasons, and one is that it shows this neutrality, this the prime minister holding to his beliefs that we will not use nuclear weapons on Japanese soil. We will not allow nuclear weapons on Japanese soil. Do you not understand what we went through? We will not allow nuclear weapons on Japanese soil. If the one thing I wanted to say was yet another quote that I'm going to read. And if this ties, ties the room together, I don't know what else. will. it's from time magazine, 1981. Since the 1950s, Japan's liberal democratic government has solemnly and repeatedly affirmed three basic principles about nuclear weapons. Do not make them possess them or allow them into the country. In 1960, with the signing of the U S Japan security treaty, Washington agreed not to introduce nuclear weapons into Japan. Two weeks ago, however, former U.S. ambassador to Japan, Edwin O. Reischauer, I probably mispronounced that, revealed that the two countries have ever since been living a convenient lie. In an interview with Tokyo's Mainichi Shimbun, Reischauer asserted that U.S. naval vessels carrying nuclear weapons have routinely visited Japanese ports with Tokyo's tacit approval. Hmm. Something to think about when we start holding morality in a monster movie up that high and really thinking that this is the reality that we're being presented and what really reality is. Now, I, I'm a huge fan of the, the 84 film and, and you know the, even the 85 recut, but I think this kind of paints a different portrait of the film. It's an idealized version of the government that we see, just like in Shin Godzilla. And I think the context really shows us something a little bit different. That's interesting because it just seems like the the prime minister in that holds, he just seems like so much more of a pacifist than anyone in Shin Godzilla. Yeah. Oh, I agree completely. Uh, I just think it's very interesting that, you know, Look, I think it's very easy for us to shit on the new movie. I think it's really easy. I mean, if I had to pick one movie of this series to shit on, this one's a really easy target. Uh, 
84 one, people tend to think it's a pretty good movie, at least in the fandom, as far as I can tell. However, it, the fact that that morality is such a centerpiece of the film that, no, we are not going to nuke it. We are not going to nuke it. And it's such a centerpiece as much that we recut the film, you know, we being you know, New World Pictures, to present an anti-Russian point of view. <laughs> right. That they had to dull that pacifist morality. But the reality of the situation was we are just as full of shit as they are. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, if, if any point that I can drive home is take a step back and look at these films in which the context they were made. A film like the original came out in 1954, and it is a film for 1954. King Kong versus Godzilla is a critique of, of, of the junk TV that was coming out at the time. And it was a comedy, but it presented a real critique. Uh, Smog Monster, I mean, anti-pollution. You, you have this film that is actually a counterculture monster movie, as odd as that is. Um, and even Godzilla's Revenge, you have a, a critique of, of Japanese society at that time where parents are not able to, to watch over their children and take care of them and raise them. And the children are left to, to play in their own imaginations. We're shown so many realities in these films where they have something to say. And this one has something to say. But the something to say cannot really be deduced without knowing the bigger picture. If you didn't know that Japan had a big problem with, with pollution in the, in the late in the 60s and 70s, you, there's no way to understand what, you know, Hedora is, you know, what would make that movie. If you didn't know the film industry was crumbling in the 70s, you wouldn't understand why the movies all look like they were, you know, just kind of made in as quickly as possible with whatever resources <laughs> You wouldn't they know had. why Godzilla vs. Megalon was so shitty. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but it was shot by Kurosawa's cinematographer. There you go. Yeah, the more you know. Uh, but yeah, I you, know, if you work. don't know this context, <laughs> what do you have? Yeah. It's just like, how, like you look at a movie like, well, I mean, I, I think Atragon is a great counterpoint to this movie because there's so much lip service that not only fans, but also even Higuchi and Anno have done to Ashiro Honda. And Atragon is literally, like, and, and movies like Latitude Zero, like, they're so pacifistic. Like, and, and the politics presented in those movies are so, like, not what what this movie is. <laughs> like, it, it, it's it's so, it's insane to me that anyone could say that this is, like, a, a, any kind of has any kind of affection for Ishiro Honda's movies because you take one look at Atragon, you take one look at Latitude Zero, you take one look at uh, Battle in Outer Space, and it, it's so much. It's 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 they're polar opposites. I think they they have a love for a lot of the imagery. I think they have a love for a lot of the tone. I think that's why we heard so many uh, the, the the reuse of the Hukubei music. I think it's why we have the the old sound effects. Um, there, there's a lot of things that you can tell that they loved about these films, and I can't pretend like these guys aren't fans because they obviously. Are. Oh yeah, I, they, I, took, I, I, they are, and I mean, even even Gellion has uh, uh, one of the robots is is basically an updated Jet Jaguar. I mean, these guys know their stuff. Yeah, and whether whether they understand or agree with the messages in those movies is another thing. Yeah. I mean, look, there's politics everywhere, and I think to pretend 
Like Japan is some utopian mirror America, like some otaku seem to really believe in. I think that it really needs to be understood that this is a very different nation with its own very different set of issues. And for anyone, I encourage look up women, look up what, what women are are able to do in Japan and what they're not. Look at their place in society. Look at the freedom that the press has now, and and really take a step back and look at this film with a really critical eye. In it, this came out in 2016. Look at what we're going through. Just think about it. It's this. People aren't making this stuff up. Yeah, I. That's the thing. I think that there's such a at least American, I guess, Japanophiles. It's either willful willful ignorance or they just don't want to come to terms with the fact that their like quote unquote ideal country has any any is anything but perfect. You know, you look online and. I mean, what what do we hear about Japan and the U.S.? We hear monster movies. We hear like weird we we anime and ma- manga stuff like The Ring and you know ghost movies, and we see all the wacky like uh, things in, of, about their pop culture. We see baby metal. We see stuff like that, and that's all well and good. You know, there's nothing wrong with liking any of those things. But, you know, you get so many, like, those, you get, like, things like those hashtags, like, never change Japan or, you know, crazy Japan. And, you know, please change. Yeah, yeah. And and you see, like, their crazy game shows that are just absolutely insane. Um, They are. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But, and it's great. It's fine. I mean, I'm sure all of us love if not all of the things I just mentioned, a decent handful of them. But, I I mean, at what point do you... Are you... I mean, at that point, you should just say, like, I love Japanese pop culture. Whereas, if, you, if you're going to be one of those people that's going to at least pretend to understand J- Japan and Japanese culture, you need to open your eyes to the things that are going on. And, and Chris, I mean, you said it at the very beginning, you love Japan. You've... You've you've been so fascinated by Japanese culture since you were a kid, but you know you you on that note you have to be able to look at the other side of things and say, well, there's things that need to be worked out. Just like here, I mean, I think all of us like being American citizens, but I mean, especially now, we're gonna have to come up and admit, like, hey, we clearly have a lot of work we need to be doing here. Absolutely. Uh, you know, any 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 nation has its own laundry list of issues. And it's unfortunate that, as I mentioned, the Cool Japan Initiative has really kind of been the focal point. And it's a very conscious focal point because that's what ever, they want everyone to see Japan as because that it, it gets people talking. It gets things out there. It gets their culture as, as, as best as it can be, uh, you know, spread across the globe, uh, which is amazing. If, if that didn't happen we wouldn't be talking about this now. And if we weren't all introduced to Japan through their pop culture exports, where would we be right now? And all of us are obviously fans. And as respectful as these filmmakers as we could be of any other filmmaker, you know, this is the interesting thing about this fandom is that the special effects directors are stars. The composers are stars to us. Whereas who... Who cares about any of this in the rest of the world? Yeah. No one. The only you know, other, it, yeah, the only other like fandom or niche that has anything like that is probably horror. Yeah, 
and that's even that's so much bigger because it's a huge it's a whole genre yeah this is fundamentally about sweaty japanese men in monster suits in extraordinarily detailed miniatures fighting and presenting morality tales when you put all of that in a sentence, it starts to sound kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. However, when you when you zoom back the camera to the bigger picture, you see this this team of artists. You see the the morality that they were trying to present to us. In excuse me, hit my mic stand. Um, you, you see this morality that was presented to us that was optimistic, that was very much of the 1960s mentality. Uh, you know, with the golden age of Japanese sci-fi, at least. Where you know things we're, we're going to get past this shit, where that Star Trek view of things of yeah yeah you know things aren't too great right now, we're going to get past this shit, and what the difference between all of that and Shin Godzilla is, this is the shit they were trying to get past. And another thing that I guess defenders of of at least the political side of the movie have said, well, there's been like some nationalism and some other Godzilla movies. And I mean, they're, they're right a little bit. I mean, a- after the Showa movies, we were presented with a little, a lot m- a more militaristic kind of films. Uh, and especially when you look at something like Godzilla versus King Ghidorah or, or something like that. But I mean, I, I, you just think like the UN was still such a big presence in all of those, and and uh, even Godzilla versus King Ghidorah kind of kind of played both hands um, with the more kind of almost heroic depiction of the Japanese soldiers. But that's the kind of thing that, for a Japanese movie, seems fine to me. And and the movie at least brought up the bigger point of Japan's growing power being dangerous and Godzilla literally blowing fire in the face <laughs> of the person responsible for that. <laughs> and take that you dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I mean it's the, it might be there a little bit but there's never been a movie where like the whole point it's it's liter- it's it's the whole point of the movie is yeah. ra ra we're Japan we can take care of this rest of the world we don't need you fuck off we got this and nerds come join us and here's your favorite radioactive dinosaur telling you to come join us it's never been so blatant and really in my opinion at least offensive <laughs> as it is in this movie yeah. yeah i mean it's it's hurtful to see because again we as fans of this stuff grew up and the morality of the original films uh the you know the golden age uh, affected us and i assume that is the same way with a lot of other fans where you know i'm also a big star trek fan and it you know that idea of you know <laughs> we're we're better than this this idea that we are all going to work together one day you know that's why one of the reasons i loved pacific rim was that it presented that same humanitarian view that you know everyone's going to come together to solve this problem. And to a point, you see it in the movie, where, yes, everyone in the government is working together. But it's presented in a very different way, with very different uh, consequences, very different results. And it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. 
it's uncomfortable. And, you know, it's, it's a squirmy thing to talk about. And you're like, oh, yeah, there's some really bad stuff going on, <laughs> by the way. Let me tell you the baggage of this movie. Then enjoy the giant romp of the thing that walks through Tokyo, takes a nap, walks a bit more, and takes you another nap. Through clouds, not Tokyo. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't render all of Tokyo. Uh, this is true. <laughs> um, well, I guess, I mean, this is uh, honestly, I, some people might, I mean, might think this might just because of the subject matter be a little bit more dry, but I've personally found this whole conversation fascinating. Um, I, I mean, is there anything, is there anything else that you came up in your research that you want to talk about before we wrap up? I mean, uh, one more thing that was kind of related to, to film censorship, actually, and that's, you know, a couple of random stray thoughts that, I, you know, who, who honestly gives a shit, uh, just because everyone has stray thoughts about the movie. Um, you know, I mentioned that the director, Angelina Jolie, uh, her first film, Unbroken, I keep saying that because when I first saw the trailer, it said, from director, Angelina Jolie, and I had to stop and think, you mean actress <laughs> now director angelina jolie um uh, written by the cohen brothers by the way really yeah i just I, I just looked it up and yeah it's script by the cohen brothers might have oh. to check it out now produced by mick garris what, what? it's the mick garris angelina jolie cohen brothers collaboration we all wanted <laughs> finally finally yeah how long have you been life. saying that needs to happen <laughs> but no go go ahead uh your All point right, about so unbroken I, well there was there was another movie that came out called the cove it was a documentary um, yes about, yeah oh yeah i remember that was a big one that was up yeah. for oscars and everything yeah yeah big deal big deal uh so it was a documentary about a violent dolphin hunt in rural japan that which is uh, a, and it was, that which it, i i'm not sure if it's gotten better since that documentary but that was a big issue. Oh, they're, they they're, legitimately they're, they're, go and just stab the shit out of these dolphins. Yeah, I mean, they're how they treat their sea life is. Um, I'm just going to say not cool. Uh, but anywho, uh, the my my point is that it it was given a limited release despite its controversial subject matter, or as the L, the administration puts it, it is off message. Um, and the only reason it was released in a limited run was one fact. It was released in a few years the Democratic Party was in power, not the LDP. This would never have been released. So, so uh, if, if this movie came out now with Abe in power, it would just be no, absolutely not. Well, good for you. I have yet another quote. Uh, the president of the distribution company Unplugged, Takeshi Kato, said, When we arranged screenings of The Cove, we had a lot of discussions with local police forces about safety. It would probably be difficult to get permission in today's atmosphere. <laughs> well, understatement. It, it just—it makes me wonder how movies like even like Atragon. Oh, we that talked was about Atragon. Different, like, different, different. You know, this is a different political political environment. What, I mean, it's I, I same guess, party. But I, I think what I, I'm saying, like though, like, like Atragon's I, already in circulation, and, and it's so, like I said, it's it's. It's anti everything that they stand for. Would but, would any Ashiro Honda movie be able to get made right now? I guess is the no. question. Yeah. No. Well, well, Matt and uh, Chris. On that note, uh, before we wrap up, also some some really interesting information that might just go through some people's ears and out the other is that um, uh, I we had just found out a few weeks ago 
um, Hid- Hid- um, Hideo Nakata, who is probably most popular for making uh, the Ring films and uh, the Ring Two here in America. Uh, he wanted to do a movie um, about Pearl Harbor, specifically with um, one of the people in charge of Pearl Harbor, kind of telling the story about how uh, I don't have the information pulled up right in front of me, but I think he became a Buddhist. I'm not sure if he became a Buddhist, but regardless, he became uh, a pacifist later in life. Um, and he brought that idea to Toho, and Toho specifically said, no, there's absolutely no way... We're going to make a movie like this. If you want to make a, a movie about this, it has to be like a, a rah-rah, action, blockbuster, yay Japan type of movie, which about Pearl Harbor, I, I like. I mean, the fact that he wanted to make this movie about Pearl Harbor and kind of what happened to one of the people who, who was involved and how they flipped around and became a pacifist, and they wanted this propaganda piece... That is like, and and I, again, this is Toho. These are the guys that we that are are in control of our favorite movies franchise. I, I I just I just found that to be so I it depressing, and more than anything, kind of hammering the point home that yeah, would Atragon or Godzilla versus. Uh, uh, thing or um battle in outer space would any of these movies be able to get made now with the political climate and the in the the people in power over there now and I, as chris just said i think i think the answer to that is an obvious no not in any stretch of the imagination in my opinion i think if the films were to be made now there would be notes from every single company that has a stake in it I think there would be notes from Toho that is ultimately – Japan has always practiced self-censorship in their films. Even when we go to the initial post-war period, you know, uh, in Kurosawa's autobiography, he mentioned how there would be like little throwaway lines he'd put in there that the Japanese censors would love because it would decry imperialism. And they wa- they wanted that in the film because it would make the American censors happy. Um so self-censorship has always been an issue. It's not like the government is always coming down and saying, you cannot say this. But by making the conscious choice that they're not going to be saying things, they're not going to be putting things out there with the fear of upsetting the government, that's a different story entirely. Yeah, that's uh, it's really kind of mind-blowing. It's what it is. I mean, look, the Japanese film industry it has much less money than us, and it always has. And if you look at its, its you know, the history since, since you know, even if you just just go back to the original Godzilla, look at the, just use the use the films like you use a James Bond, the James Bond series to say, you know, if you want to get a, a feel for what it was like, like, all right, what what is the target audience? What is the target audience of the film, and why? Why is this film the way that it is? Why is it paced this way? Why is the morality there? Why is this director on this project? You know, you look at the 60s to 70s. Why are they different? Oh, the studio system completely took a shit. Hmm. So that's why you don't see any familiar faces anymore. Interesting. Why is the music different? Well, no one wants to hear big bombastic orchestral music. You know, it's all, all everything that's in these films is there because of the context which they were created. 
And, you know, if if we're going to be criticizing Toho, we have to be criticizing Warner Brothers. We have to be criticizing any of these big studios because that's all they are. They're a film studio. They're in the business of making money by putting moving pictures on a screen and getting butts in seats to watch them. I mean, I, I've, I've certainly learned a lot during this conversation. Um, Matt, how about you? Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot. I've been kind of quiet. Like I said, this was a, a conversation that I told you guys before we started recording that was going to be uh, anything political today was just going to kind of bum me out. <laughs> I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm, glad that, I'm glad that I was part of it, even though I didn't really, I don't feel like I added a whole lot, but I, I did actually learn quite a bit. Uh, I hope that our listeners today have also been able to learn quite a bit as well. Yeah, and again, uh, we're not experts. As Chris has said many times, he's not an expert either. Um, About anything, yeah, anything at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know much of anything. So, so I, I mean, I would, I, I would say before we wrap up, I mean, if you have any thoughts about this. I mean, don't hesitate to reach out to any of us. Uh, I mean, we're on Facebook. You can send us a message on, on the Kaiju Transmissions page. Uh, kaijutransmissions at gmail.com, you can reach us. Um, especially, I mean, if, if there's any Japanese listeners who might have anything to say, we would love to hear it. Um, and we're, we're perfectly, we're very open to the idea of, of discu- more any further discussion anyone wants to have about this. Uh, really, I mean, I, it's really just been a, a lot of just... This podcast, at least at least for me, has just been a lot of uh, you know shutting up and, and listening, and you know it's it's definitely put Shin Godzilla in more context, and uh, hopefully, I mean, someone out there, you know, if you go and buy the Blu-ray or something, these are things that we can all be conscious of next time we all watch the film, uh, and whether. I mean, whether whether any of this is going to bother you while you watch the movie is going to depend on your personal mileage, but um, it, it's all something to think about, really. Um, honestly, what I like about the movie, to a degree of why I can give it three stars, is it starts a discussion, which is more than I can say about most that have been made, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. There's a discussion to be had that's very serious. Yeah. Um, that's true. Um, so on that note, I mean, are there any other final thoughts that either of you have? Hope everyone's in a much better mood now. Now you can think about the sad things happening on both sides of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Matt, Matt, you have any closing statements? I'm, I'm, de- I'm, I'm depressed enough as it is. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, coming hard, um, coming hard. well, uh, again, um, Chris, thank you so much for, for coming on here you did you did you went beyond the call of duty and and researching and pulling quotes and 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 stuff from different articles so thank you so much uh it's been an absolute pleasure uh to listen to you talk about this stuff um and on that note we're we'll head out and hopefully people have enjoyed this special post-election day episode of kaiju transmissions um nationalism is big everywhere right now apparently and xenophobia yes on that note please the best thing we can do right now is be very nice to each other hold the door open for people help old ladies across the street don't litter say (laughs) please and thank you it's all we have right now for all of us including our friends in japan so be safe 
Nobody get too crazy out there. And uh, join us next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.